This is the Darren Paltrowcast with Darren Paltrowitz. I've been interviewing musicians, comedians, and all sorts of entertainers for almost 20 years. Joan Rivers, Flavor Flav, Paris Hilton, members of Guns N' Roses and the Eagles, and countless others. This show is about artists and why they do what they do. On this episode of the Paltrowcast, I spoke with Kane Roberts, Bobby Long, and Marlon Waynes. First up is my chat with Kane Roberts, who first found fame playing guitar with Alice Cooper. Kane's new album is called The New Normal, and it features contributions from Alice Cooper, Elisa from Arch Enemy, Kip Winger, and Baby Metal's Aoyama Hideki. His credits also include work with Kiss, Rod Stewart, and Berlin. First, I want to ask you about The New Normal. How long did you spend working on the album? Well, the, the run-up to it was, you know, it just slowly started to uh, evolve and gestate. You know, I'd, I'd been off the grid for a while, but, you know, I hadn't stopped playing guitar, obviously. But I became more and more, as I started listening to more and more of the new music that's out there, um, you know, I, I, it's one of the things about me is I listen to tons of music all the time. So I just started getting inspired by some of the newer bands, you know, like um, Ghost and, and Battle Beast and Volbeat and uh, Lacuna Coil, although they've been around for a little while, Arch Enemy, um, you know, bands like that. So I started, you know, feeling kind of creatively inspired. And then I started recording a little bit and, uh, you know, Kip Winger, my friend Kip Winger suggested that I, you know, run it by the guys over Frontiers. And then, you know, they were, you know, they were cool with it and they gave me the opportunity. And then, you know, once I went into the studio, um, of course, you know, stepping up to the microphone in that sort of environment, you know, it's, it's, the standard has to be very high. So I was very pleased at what I was able to do. Um, but at the same time, three, four, five, six months into it, I was looking back at what I was doing and my voice had now sort of come back. I was very surprised that my range was still there and everything. And some of the choices I was making as a result of that, you know, as your confidence kind of grows a little bit, um, I went back in and started, you know, re-recording, rewriting and doing all this stuff. So the album actually took me three years and the record company to show you what kind of record company frontiers is, you know, they, they're, they weren't happy, but, when they got the record, they were very into the music, and that's what those guys are about. They're all uh, about the music. So, uh, you know, here I am today. I'm just wrapping up a, a video with um, Alice and Alyssa White Glues in the video. So, um, you know, pretty happy about that. What was the first song you wrote for the album? Hmm. Uh, the song Wrong, the last song on the record. That was the first one that we had that we, we, uh, we uh, included in it. And I think then, you know, they all sort of started bumping into each other at different parts of the schedule. I think maybe King of the World was the next one, but uh, it wasn't until we hit beginning of the end and some of those songs that we just really felt we had this sort of cinematic thread that ran, ran through everything. It was kind of like a script to a movie in a wave to us. And, uh, you know, my, me and my producer, Alex, uh, track. And so, uh, you know, then we were off and running. Probably, probably I'd say about six or seven months into it, we felt like we, we were on to something. And you've already mentioned Kip. And Alyssa, um, those are two of the special guests on this album. Did you know all along that this was going to be a star-studded affair of an album? The people that got involved um, were just part of, um, you know, the, the sort of evolution of, of the project itself. You know, in other words, I didn't 
think at the beginning that I was going to have Alyssa on the record. I didn't think Alice would be on it. Kip, I knew because, you know, I just love his bass playing and he and I are friends and we talk all the time. I talked to Alice a lot, but, you know, I hadn't really dawned on me or, or the notion hadn't, you know, crossed my mind to have him be on the record. And it was only, for example, uh, you know, this is how the process was. When I heard my vocals on it and I, I heard the lyrics on the first verse, it just I just thought to myself, nobody could deliver that better than Alice Cooper. So, you know, I, I gave him a call and he happened to be in town and he, he literally came over the, uh, the same night. He just said, I'll be right over. So, you know, it just turned out to be sort of a natural, you know, flow of events that worked out. And it's amazing to me that not only you, but most of the Alice Cooper band members past and present seem to be in touch with one another. Is that something that strikes you in any way? Yeah, I mean, you know, it does turn into a bit of a family. Some of the guys kind of jettison off and, you know, you don't hear from them and stuff. But, you know, um, you know, for me, the, the main reason that I was uh, that I was concerned with getting those guys on the record is I wanted people I wanted people that were, you know, very active, very prolific, very intense, very passionate about what they're still doing. And Ken Mary, for example, you know, he's playing with Flotsam and Jetsam. That's, that's, a, that's a tough run on the drums, you know what I mean? But he's kicking ass with it. And of course, you know, Kip, uh, he's doing all the music with, with his band and his solo stuff. He's got that Grammy nomination for a classical composition and all that stuff. So, you know, the people that I chose are people that I think the standard is so high, it's only going to help me, you know, get up there with them and breathe uh, rare air, you know, and try to try to make something really special. And aside from the work that you did with Alice in your solo career, you actually wrote for a lot of different artists. Uh, has that been something that you've pursued in the past couple of years? Uh, no. I mean, you know, when I say I went off the grid, I literally was, was not, you know, it's not that I had turned my back on music, but the music industry itself, the business had no real uh, flair for me, you know, so I wasn't really uh, that, that, uh, that concerned with it. So, so I, I wasn't contacting anybody, you know, and, and, and seriously, if, if you look back at uh, what I was doing back in the day, I mean, I was uh, practicing guitar as a kid all the time. You know, I, 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 my main goal in life, you know, despite everybody said it was impossible was to do something and, you know, uh, get on stage and do some giant rock concerts and do albums and all that stuff. And everybody's going, you know, well, why you? There's millions of guitar players that are out there doing it. And there was nothing really that could, could stop me. My belief was that if you became great at something, you know, the world will eventually greet you with open legs, you know? So, uh, what happened was, um, you know, I ended up with Alice Cooper. I'm in front of Alice Cooper. I'm at his door and that whole thing started. And if you think about it, that's the only band I could have joined. I mean, like, like think of the way I looked, you know, I don't think I, I would have been the guitar player for White Lion, you know what I mean? 230 pounds, you know, I kind of look like a beast, you know what I'm saying? So it's just, it's just a matter of uh, tremendous luck, uh, destiny, and, you know, just that sort of faith that something's going to happen that I ended up with Alice Cooper. Well, speaking of your look, I think that you were the precursor to Alyssa's uh, boyfriend, Doyle, the way that he looks these days. Is that something that you've ever talked about with him? Yeah, it's so funny. I, you know, Doyle is one, first of all, I just saw his band and it just, it just blew my mind how great they are, you know? And, uh, uh, so Doyle and I, you know, it, it was another one of those situations where you meet somebody and you just immediately be, become friends. You know, he came with, with Alyssa to the, uh, to the set when we shot the video, you know, sometimes, uh, very often she does, I think green screen or stuff like that. But, 
she was so committed to the project. I mean, it's the way she is. Now, you know, it's nothing special necessarily about me. I mean, she loved the song and, you know, being with Alice Cooper and I and all that stuff, she got into it. But she's the type of artist that, that when she commits something to something, uh, her standard and her, her, her behavior is ruled by making great art. So, you know, she flew out uh, to be with Alice and I uh, on the video and Doyle came with her. And that was the first time I met him. And, you know, just total kick-ass guy. And we were talking about, you know, lifting and all that stuff. And, and uh, you know, I, I didn't, I never thought I was, you know, influenced him in any way. But, you know, I, I, I know that back in the day, I was pretty much the biggest, you know, guy out there. I don't know, I mean, there might have been some bigger bodybuilders, you know, that played music or whatever. But, um, but yeah, I think, I think, you know, my image kind of, uh, you know, sort of made a difference you know when the camera went by me you know with alice cooper everybody was like what the fuck is this you know you know so um and and you know i i mentioned this before the rambo thing really didn't i i was like kind of blindsided when i read in cream magazine they called me kane rambo roberts i was going where are they getting that and, and then i started looking at the photos and i was going geez you know how could i be this clueless you know all i needed was that was a headband i got this gun guitar and you know torn shirt and curly hair you know it was kind of funny well speaking of bodybuilders named kane have you ever encountered the professional wrestler named kane no but i i know if i did i mean that guy is i think he's like six seven or something he's a really massive huge guy so i think if i was standing next to him i'd, I'd look pretty uh, pretty small and pretty skinny you know i i wasn't i wasn't ever into you know being a bodybuilder i just ended up you know going into the gym and just liking that that process of just like moving heavy weights around and stuff like that i just it just the whole thing appealed to me so um you know alice and i share this kind of obsessive personality he with golf you know you know whatever we feel like doing we just do it you know non-stop and you know the whole lifting weights thing just kind of stuck with me so it wasn't a case that you were an aspiring professional athlete you were just into fitness for the sake of fitness yeah, I mean, not necessarily being fit, but just, you know, the activity itself, you know, what you got from it, you know, as I as suddenly I was able to bench 315 or I was squatting 405, you know, stuff like that. There, there's a progression that you can actually see and put your finger on it and see how things are developing. So I, I you know, it just became something I was really uh, attracted to. And, you know, and you think about it, you know, in, in any sort of sport, you know, you win uh, the a match in tennis, you go on to the next round. I mean, there's politics involved in every activity, but but that's sort of the way it is. And, and with weightlifting, you know, you, if you keep if you keep at it, suddenly you're not having trouble with 135. You know, on the bench, you're benching 285 or you know whatever. And and the the, the point is, like in music, <clears throat> you know, you can you can do a lot of great stuff, and just nobody's going to care or pay any attention to it. So you know. Uh, what was it? Chef, uh, Chef Gordon, Alice's manager, he eventually managed me for a while there too. He said, you know, it's no until you hear the word yes, you know? So, so, you know, uh, bodybuilding, you know, in music and in entertainment and, and, and lifting weights became something tangible for me. I could see a real sort of progression. I could sort of put my, my, uh, wrap my arms around, you know, where I was headed with it, as opposed to music, you're kind of stepping out into limbo and floating around in space until you land somewhere. Sure. So will we be seeing you touring at all in support of the new normal? Well, at this point, I, I'm, I don't think so. I mean, uh, you know, I, I think at some point it might happen if, if the music, if the record shows legs and everything. My first intent is to make a series of videos because I, I'm really sort of, uh, uh, you know, attracted to, you know, how music and, and visuals 
work together. You know, you think about an MTV uh, sort of shot itself uh, in, in the ass and just kind of, you know, disappeared in terms of what it offers. But what they had created almost has this sort of organic life on its own. And it's emerged again on YouTube and Vimeo and different, different, uh, different out, outlets. So, so uh, you know, I, I think that's going to be my main goal. I'm the, my first concentration is this video with Alice, Alyssa and I, and the next one's going to, you know, actually be, um, it's going to feature the girl on the cover of my CD, The New Normal. So if this album goes well, you think we'll see another Kane Roberts album in the near future? I'm not sure. It depends on, you know, what my feelings are. You know, this one, you know, you can see when I stepped into it, I, I was, it was kind of like, you know, new territory for me. And I was, I was, a, you know, I didn't know where I was going to head with it, but, you know, obviously I put my heart and soul into it and I made, you know, phone calls. I made efforts to make something special with the music and with the people involved. And now with this video, I mean, that's, it's kind of a miracle for me to put all that stuff together, you know, in terms of uh, this actual video that I was able to pull up. So, you know, if if I see the same motive, if I see the same inspiration to do something, I'll do it again. Uh, otherwise, you know, um, you know, it, there's no point to it. If you if you're not like 100% in for, it, if you're not into, um, you know, spitting blood, you know, to get stuff done, then there's no purpose behind it. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, so, in closing, Kane, any last words for the kids? Yeah, make sure that uh, if you're riding a bike at night, you know, wear white, have reflectors and lights on your bicycle because it's very important that that cars are able to see you. And also visit my uh, Instagram. Next up are highlights from my interview with Bobby Long, who first found fame when his song Let Me Sign was featured in the 2008 movie Twilight. Bobby's latest album is Sultans, which he released through Compass Records earlier this month. Bobby, surprisingly, is a resident of Jersey City, New Jersey these days. Sultans, how long was that in the works for? It was uh, it was in the works for um, for a while actually. It, we we kind of took our time because it was made uh, it was made when my wife was pregnant. So I was just taking some time off the road, and we we, we decided to record in Brooklyn, New York, which is obviously I, I live in Jersey City, so it's really really close by. So we we just kind of decided to play it by ear almost as we recorded it. So it was over the space of about a year, like a a day here, day day there kind of thing, you know. Was the whole album written before you went into the studio? Yes, it was, yeah. I, I did a lot of pre-production, actually, and uh, it probably took a few months to write it, and then I just brought all the songs in, and probably about 25 songs, so we just literally picked one whenever we went in the studio, really, which was which was great. And what was the first song that you wrote for the album? Uh, Nautical was the first song I wrote, um, and then after that, those two songs kind of drove the way, I, I, I suppose. They kind of set the, set the tone and, you know, started the whole thing off, really. Well, I'm curious, um, being that you have a title track to the album that appears as the opening and the closer, when in the process did Sultans come along? Yeah, well, it came on pretty early, but originally Sultans was just one one track. Um, so part one and part two, it was, it was all joined. Um, it was just one full song. And then kind of... Being inspired by, you know, like Sergeant Pepper's The Beatles, we decided that it might be cool if we had part one and part two. So we kind of we decided to record them separately in the end and slightly differently. Um, and that that really added to the playfulness of the album as well. And that was that was pretty early on too. So we were we we were kind of quite experimental really, and yeah, we we and playful too, I suppose. So what is 
you know, the rest of 2019 looking like? Is the goal to be on the road as much as possible? Yeah, I think that it's just to play shows where people want to hear it. And um, I think it's, it's just finding a balance of being on the road and being able to play good shows and all that kind of stuff. So I'm, I, I'm really looking forward to getting it out there and playing and kind of sharing it with people, really. I'm curious about you personally. What made you want to move to New York in the first place? Yeah, I, I, I talk about this. I've spoken about this recently with a friend, actually. And New York does have this pull. Um, I think America has this pull on uh, pull for, for English people, especially. You know, in England, it's so typically rains a lot and it's grey and it's an island and it's quite small. And you know, you see America on TV shows all the time, whether it's Fresh Prince of Bel Air or whatever. You know, and uh, it looks like this kind of wonderful, fresh kind of clean place so it always i was always kind of wanted to go to new york you know and especially on top of that you know hearing about dylan going to new york and even like frank mccourt writing that the book angela's ashes whatever i was like oh my god like that's that's the place so i, I it was always in the back of my head really um to, to move to new york now, I had the pleasure of seeing you in Los Angeles six or seven years ago at the Troubadour. And oh. when you were playing a show like that, were you really familiar with the history of the venue and a lot of these venues that you played in the States? Yeah, I was actually. Um, I was aware of the Troubadour. Because, you know, from being quite young, my mum and dad were into a lot of the music. A lot of the music that kind of the acts would play at the Troubadour. Um you know, James Taylor and people like that, um, John Lennon, but, you know, playing in there. So I read about it, and it always popped up in stories. So I was aware of it. You know, I'm probably more aware of it now, but I was pretty, I was pretty up-to-date with, 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 you know, like famous venues and stuff like that, you know. But obviously, when you get to play, then it, 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 you obviously feel that more, I think, especially the Troubadour. Got it. And in that era, you were on ATO Records, whereas now you're doing more of a DIY thing through through Compass. Is your goal long-term to be on a label where you're calling the shots? Yeah, I mean, I, I've always called the shots, no matter what label I've been with. And, you know, they've kind of had to trust me with, with what I was making. And that, that was the case this time more than ever you know compass didn't have i didn't give them i wasn't sending them demos or you know like um variations of the songs they really had to trust me and they've they've really been amazing um and i gave them the record and i, and I handed it over they're like okay yeah this is brilliant let's let's go with it they've been great but i i would i would i just wouldn't work with anybody who didn't give me that freedom you know they're my songs so they're not their songs, you know. I'm not talking about a specific label, but it's it's really it's really important to have that relationship where you feel like you can make what you want to make. And I've, I have been really fortunate where I've worked with people who have done that, especially Compass recently. Well, when it comes to making songs and writing in general, are you the kind of artist that's writing every day, or do you really have to be inspired to write? Yeah, I, that's changed. I used to be an everyday writer, but I've just, I've just decided to kind of, you know, I feel like sometimes you have to change it up a little bit and um, look at it from a different angle. And I've, I've now I, I maybe try and write like a few times a week, and I, uh, I because I've got I've got a kid now, I try and save it up. So if I've got an idea, 
and I can feel the urge when I'm writing it, I, I, I'll try and bottle it almost, and I record it on my phone, put it to one side to a time when I, I'll be alone, you know, <laughs> and have some privacy because, especially with the kid who's not sleeping, it's you know you might have ten minutes, but the moment the eleventh minute, the hand ticks, you know, you, you have to stop what you're doing, and you can be mid flow, and that can just ruin, completely ruin the, the song, you know. You can force yourself to finish it too early. Yeah, I'd imagine that you have very, very limited free time at this point, whereas when you started your career, the whole time of your life was on your career. Is that the case? Yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's definitely the case. And, you know, now I still, I'm still in, as engaged. I just, I maybe don't need to, I, you know, part of me writing every day was the romanticism, I think, and, Reading, you know, reading comments from Leonard Cohen and you know Paul Simon talk about writing every day to write a song a day, and I still I still agree with that. But for me right now, I just can't do that. So it's finding the next best thing, and and actually I feel like it's helped my songwriting because I uh, I'm a bit more clinical now. So rather than writing seven songs and one of them being you know decent enough to do something with, now I feel like when I write a song I can. Uh, it's it's good to go. You know what I mean. It might not be great, but it's it's a decent quality. It's a better quality than probably the another seven I would have written. Is there any other creative outlet that you have besides songwriting, or is songwriting everything? I like drawing and stuff. I did. I've I've uh, I like writing in general. Like I'm always trying writing something. You know, whether it's like a script or short stories and there's no like I, I pretend that I have a deadline so I can I finish it but um they're more like exercises really but I've done um I've done like two poetry books that I've made and put out there and I did like drawing with them too like I did the illustrations which was, which was fun but um I like painting and stuff I just don't I just don't have the skill set for it you know <laughs> right aspirations uh so i guess in yeah. closing any last words for the kids um let's be nice to each other last and definitely not least are highlights from my phone call with actor comedian writer producer and director marlon waynes marlon needs no introduction but beyond regularly touring as a stand-up comic his next big film is the upcoming netflix release sextuplets I spoke with Marlon on the eve of him playing a bunch of sold-out shows at the Chicago Improv. How you doing, Darren? I'm doing great. Are you great? Yeah, man. I'm always great. Life is beautiful. What was your entry into stand-up? Because, of course, everyone first found out about you from A Living Color, but they didn't necessarily realize that you've been doing stand-up for the last bunch of years. I started out as an actor. Then I started doing stand-up when I was in college. Well, I was like 16, 17, and then I stopped. And then I started again, I did it about 60 times, and then I quit. And then, because I wanted to write movies and write TV shows, and so I quit. And then I started back when I was 38 years old, because um, I had to go for the role of Richard Pryor. And if I was playing the greatest comedian ever, I should get my, my black ass on stage. And that brought me to the stage eight year ago, years ago, and now I've been on this journey to truly uh, be a comedian. That's what I've been. What I'm curious about is why somebody like yourself, who's written huge movies and been the star of great TV shows, what is it that draws you to continually doing stand-up when you've got all those big projects going on at the same time? Um, I think it's the addiction to growth, the addiction to laughs, 
and you know staying a student you know the more you you learn the better you get the more you prepare for whatever opportunities come in your way um it's funny because i i i'm still i'm nowhere close to where i want to be in my career and so i just right now i i just do the work and i'm never going to stop doing the work because i know this you know i believe in alchemy and everything you do is for a reason and for a purpose towards your greatest purpose and I feel like I'm getting better. And um, it's just making me a lot more articulate uh, about funny and what's funny about funny and why things don't work and why they don't. And really uh, allows me to listen to my audience and even gauge myself and know where I've gone too far and, or maybe not far enough. And so, you know, you always get a, every time you're on stage, you get a new bite at the apple. You get a new time, um, a new chance to go be great. And I just love the, the, the practicum. Now, you haven't had really any slow years in the last 25 years. You know, if somebody looks at your IMDb page, it's just nonstop work. I'm curious how much of that is you pursuing projects versus people seeking you out? Uh, I would say 90, 95% of that is me. Um, nobody seeks me out. I haven't had like a, um, a movie offer or, you know, a project that I haven't written, produced, or developed in, I, I can't tell you how long. Uh, maybe the last movie I did was maybe G.I. Joe, where somebody else was the, a producer on it or wasn't something that I wrote. Um, and that's not because I just like to do my own thing. It's just, um, it, I, I just develop and work so I don't have to sit around waiting on Hollywood because according to my IMDb, I'd have been waiting a long time between projects. So um, I just like to create. I like to stay busy. Um, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't know, man. It's like, uh, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful journey. I'm grateful. Um, I'm blessed. And um, I just, I'm blessed to love what I do and to do it because I just love it and uh, continue to grow and evolve as a writer, as a, as a producer, as, a, as an actor, as a comedian, and as a person. Sextuplets, I believe, is your next big project, which you did through Netflix. I assume that you also wrote and produced besides starting in it? Well, we did the rewrite um, um, on it, Rick, Rick Alvarez and I. And, um, of course, yes, I'm producing. Um, that's been a project that we've been developing for, like, uh, 10 years. And, um, finally it just came together and, um, it's a really crazy movie as a performer. Um, you do, I do, sometimes you do stuff that impresses you. And, uh, this one as a performer, I, I, I kind of impress myself and I don't do that often. Um, but I, I did on this one because this movie, um, sometimes I'm, I'm playing seven different characters. And so sometimes those characters are a lot of times are those characters are in scenes with each other and it's funny once you see i don't see me in the characters i feel like they're their own you fall in love with each character for a different reason i feel like that that each character is their own person so you uh just mentioned how long of a process it was to get that movie going so uh wokish that happened while you already were working with netflix well Wokish happened because that's just, uh, that was a project that, uh, it was, it was a stand-up special. And so I was working on my stand-up special, and after I finished my movie, Naked, um, I decided to do my first stand-up special. Got it. And have you already started thinking about another stand-up special? Um, yeah. I, I think I'll be ready in a, maybe another, you know, I don't know. I, I got a lot of material I've been working on, 
I'm just enjoying the stage right now. But um, when it comes time to do a special, I, I could probably do one now. It'll, it'll hit me when it's time. But I'm I'm ready. I'm I'm ready to get ready now. But I'm I'm gonna wait a little while. I want to see what else I come up with. And then aside from all that. Uh, you're a native New Yorker, or at least do you still identify as being a native New Yorker? Born and raised. Always a New Yorker. Now, did you grow up near uh, 18th Street? Was it those projects? Yeah, well, I grew up on 16th Street, which is near 18th Street, which is, yes, the, the Fulton Projects right there in, uh, in Chelsea. So I'm curious if you've gone back since that area became big with the Highline Ballroom and the Hero Ballroom and all that. Absolutely, and I always stay right down the block from my projects. Either uh, I'm at the when I go to New York, I stay within a uh, uh, five block radius of my projects because I just like to walk by there. It feels like home. And as the story goes, uh, Eddie Murphy visited your house when you were a kid. Was it actually in those projects where that happened? Sure was. 16th Street and 9th Avenue, 413 West 16th Street, apartment 5D. <laughs> Got it. Now we know where to visit. Uh, so ultimately, are there any upcoming projects that I didn't mention or things that you want to plug? Um, no, I think I pretty much plugged everything. Uh, uh, follow me on Instagram, um, at Marlon Wayans, Twitter, at Marlon Wayans, Facebook, Marlon Wayans fan page. And uh, looking forward to making people laugh in Chicago this weekend. I got a couple of sold out shows already. So, uh, you know, uh, Chicago's great listeners and um a lot of great laughs, so I'm looking forward to it. And two quick questions, if you don't mind. Yes. Okay, the first one, is it true that you get residual checks for Batman, that you were cast in some of the movies, but, you know, due to some weird situations, you didn't get uh, filmed in there, but you did get paid? That is very correct. And every now and then, I'll get a $7 check. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, so, in closing, any last words for the kids? For kids, I would tell them, um, don't let anybody tell you that you can't achieve any goal that you set your mind to if you believe it and you're willing to, to do the work you can be anything that you want to be thanks for listening to the paltrow cast with darren paltrowitz on the pure grain audio network more information on the paltrow cast can be found online at www.puregrainaudio.com until next time have a great shabbos